0: It's your time to ed up with America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp experience where we make education your business. This is ed-up legal with your host, Patty Roberts. She's Dean at St. Mary's school of law, and she's going to be leading conversations about legal education in today's world. Now let's hear from your host, Patty Roberts.
1: Welcome to EdUp Legal. I'm Patty Roberts from St. Mary's University School of Law. And today I am joined by Susan Hanley Duncan. She is the Dean and Professor of Law of the University of Mississippi School of Law, a position that she started in August, 2017. She's the first female to serve as Dean of the Law School, not in an interim capacity. Hello, Dean Duncan.
2: Hi, Dean Roberts.
1: So excited to have you here, and um, I know that we have one of your colleagues waiting in the wings. um, The co-director of your Center for Air and Space Law, Charles Stotler, will be joining us later in the half hour. Um, But in the meantime, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your rise to the deanship. Um, Tell us about your legal education career and, and what brought you to your current position.
2: So I have a very unusual route to being a dean, probably um, maybe the only one in the country that has this kind of route, but I uh, graduated from University of Louisville in 1991 and practiced at an insurance defense firm for about a year and a half, and then uh, moved to Memphis and started having children and ended up teaching at what was then Memphis State as an adjunct, University of Memphis now. Uh, And just loved it. Loved being back in the classroom. I'm a student at heart. Loved to be around young people. So decided that I would like to do this for my career. So we moved back to Louisville and I got on with my own law school, which is unusual. And I was an adjunct. um, And then eventually became long-term contract for legal writing for six years. Um, Once they converted those to tenure track, I had to Interviewed for to keep my job, and I um, was selected and became was tenured pretty quickly uh, and became an administrative dean of faculty research and academic affairs for a year, and then the interim dean for Louisville for, for five years, which is very unusual, too. <laughs> That's, all.
1: That's a long time to be interim.
2: <laughs> it is a long time to be interim. And then um, came to I'm into my fifth year now at University of Mississippi, and I'm just... Loved being here. It's been, you know, great to see another law school compared to my own, which was 20 years at my own law school. So it's been a real growing experience for me as a leader and as a person. We've just fallen in love with Oxford.
1: That's wonderful, and you know your your path is unusual, starting as an adjunct and going through legal writing and all of that. But we're going to have to talk someday offline because my path is remarkably similar. Ah, oh, uh, I started. I, I practiced for eight years, and then I started um, as an adjunct in our lawyering skills program at William and Mary, my alma mater. Um, <gasps> and for about ten years, I did legal writing and lawyering skills and um, and then um, some admi- a lot of administrative duties, associate dean for academic affairs, that kind of stuff. And then they said, we want you to be a clinician. So will you go on the uh, appointment track, you know, for being a clinician? And so I did that. And anyway, ended up there for 20 years. So very similar path. Wow, that is I almost identical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, um, but I started my deanship in the pandemic, which <laughs>
2: was oh, a little boy. bit unusual. wow.
1: so tell me more about your school I understand that um, that one of the reasons that you love being in Oxford and being at Mississippi is that um, you are really seeing your law school and your students your faculty have a difference or make a difference and if you can share why that is with us
2: Yes, I, I said earlier to you that there's supposedly a Faulkner quote. I'm not sure if it's really from Faulkner, but um, he said, to understand the world, you must first understand a place like Mississippi. And I just really love that quote because I think Mississippi deals with issues that are facing the whole nation, but we are a small state. So we're able to really make a difference in the state. So our aid clinics are very, very active in this state we have clinics that deal with housing, housing issues. Uh, we have family law, children advocacy type clinics, um, transactional law clinics that help businesses get off the ground in Mississippi. Um, and then the MacArthur Justice Foundation, we have their clinic, which there's only two, I believe at law schools, Northwestern and, and Mississippi. And they do real systemic changes in the law that helps our citizens. And then our Innocence Project has had an unbelievable year with three exonerations uh, within probably the last 18 months, which is- uh, That has
1: to be a record. My gosh.
2: Wow. So it's a really interesting state. One of those exonerations, um, the, the defendant had been tried six times for murder in this state and had gone up to the United States Supreme Court. So Very interesting work for our students and our clinicians.
1: Okay, now I was not a criminal lawyer, but how can you be tried six times for murder? (laughs) Yes,
2: three convictions, three hung juries, and um, every time it was being overturned. There was a real issue with with Batson, if you remember Batson from law school, but uh, the prosecutor had struck every African-American juror. And so, um, this the oh, defendant was yeah. African American, so uh, it was overturned by the Supreme Court, and then finally they've decided not to to uh, you know exonerate him after all that.
1: Wow, yes. three and eighteen months—that's incredible. Yes, and I am um, intrigued about the MacArthur Justice Clinic. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I wasn't aware that they um, had clinics, and I'd love to know the kinds of systemic change that they're uh, working on.
2: So they work on a wide variety of issues. Um, They Actually, the students created a database of all the people who have not had a pretrial hearing in Mississippi, and some of them had been years, which was unbelievable to learn. They've worked on bail practices. We had really... Um, awful bail bonds and practices. They're working with courts about fines and how if you uh, jail people for fines, the problem that with, with people who are in poverty already, what that does. Um, they worked when the ice raids happened with the chicken producers in Mississippi, working with mental illness issues in the jails. And the jailers wanted this help because they don't don't have capacity to deal with some of the issues. So just a wide variety of things that the students deal with um, that really bring about systemic change, not just change for an individual.
1: That's really impressive. Now, do you work alongside the Northwestern MacArthur Justice Clinic, or are they independent entities that do their own systemic work?
2: I think they they do their own for where they're located, but I don't think there definitely is communication through the MacArthur Justice uh, organization. So that those are the only two at law schools, but I believe that there's clinics throughout the country that aren't associated with law schools, with MacArthur. So I think there's close communication with all the different groups that that help in different capacities.
1: I was intrigued when we were talking uh, before this conversation about the fact that Mississippi has um, an incredibly generous populace, but also great poverty. Can you talk a little bit about that unique dichotomy in Mississippi? Yes,
2: there's several, I think, unique dichotomies in Mississippi, because, you know, we have a painful history, obviously, of discrimination and H, but there's, it's the hospitality state. I mean, there's such friendly, welcoming people. So you've got that dichotomy. You have the dichotomy that we are the most generous state I've heard uh, per capita, that our, our people give so much money, very religious state, um, yet probably number one in poverty. So it's it's hard to make these things go together. Um, very thoughtful population here, but then um, some some things that you would consider maybe ignorant or backwards here. So it's, it's a state that I hope people will come and visit because I think it um, is very different when you live in the state than maybe what you think about our state. And um, everyone that comes to school here or the professors who come here fall in love with the state. I mean, it is a really wonderful state. And I think there's a bias against it that's unfair. Um, so it's it's always great to recruit people from out of state and then watch what they think once they've been here for a little bit.
1: So what is that like? Are you recruiting? Do you end up recruiting your faculty, staff and students mostly from out of state or is it uh, half and half or how does the population break out?
2: So we're the flagship, the only state-supported law school in the state, so I'm very cognizant of that to make sure that I always try to stay at least 50% um, in state, but it really is about half and half probably in the student body most years. Um, and a lot of the uh, faculty have come from out of state. A lot of the staff are probably more in state. Uh, and it's, it's interesting to watch the graduates because some of the Mississippi born and raised students end up going outside the state and some of the transplants end up loving the state and staying in the state. So it, it doesn't mirror exactly what your admissions numbers look like when they're on the back end. It, it's very, it's sometimes very different than what you might expect.
1: And the as the flagship state law school, are there other law schools in Mississippi? How far so away are they?
2: One other law school, it's called Mississippi College. It's more of a religious school and it is in Jackson, Mississippi, which is about two and a half hours south for us. We are just an hour and 15 minutes south from Memphis, just to give you an idea. So we're up at the top of the state and they are more in the middle of the state where the capital is.
1: Close enough to go for a really cool concert, I guess. <laughs> in yeah. Memphis.
2: I burn up my 55 almost every week. So, <laughs> do you really you can imagine the, the attorneys are down in Jackson. So, um, I'm, I I could almost do it in my sleep now.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm making quite a number of trips to Austin, I'm finding. Yes, yes. <laughs> I hope you don't have as much construction as we have here <laughs> on the way to Austin. And one of the things that um, I've I find fascinating about your law school is that, um, you know, you've mentioned your clinics and certainly I know you have very active clinics and that you've been a top 25 school in practical training uh, many times. But one of the unique things about your law school is that you have a center for air and space law. And um, I think that our listeners would be really interested to hear about that. And thank you for bringing Professor Stotler along with you today, because I know he is the co-director of the Center for Air and Space Law. And so I wonder if um, one or both of you can tell us more about the history of how that started at your law school and what sorts of things um, the center works on.
2: Yes, we are so proud of the Air and Space Center. Um, It's been in existence since the 60s, which might surprise your listeners. It that definitely surprised me too. <laughs> yes, it surprised me when I came. But uh, Charles Stotler and Michelle Hanlon are the co-directors. They are doing a fantastic job. This program has grown so much under their leadership, and I want to just turn it over to Charles for a few minutes so you can hear some of the great things that they're they're doing right now.
0: Oh, thanks, Dean Duncan, and thanks, Dean Roberts, for having us on. So Mississippi is extremely unique. You know, one of the common sayings is that if you wanna go to the moon, you have to go first through Hancock, Mississippi because of the Stennis Space Center down there, which was true of the (laughs) Apollo program. So Mississippi has always had a place in space exploration. Um, And we had some uh, smart leaders early on, one of of them being Stephen Gorov, who was a famous international law professor who started teaching space law in the late 1960s and hosted the first space law conference in the summer of 1969, in Oxford, in Oxford, Mississippi, uh, asking questions about, you know, what was what states could and couldn't do legally with the moon, um, just before the first astronauts landed there. So, um, we've been involved in space law going back to the beginning of the space age, and it's the oldest space law program in the United States. In in the early 2000s, we um, added an aviation law component because of natural synergies between those fields. Um, so we've been doing and created an LLM program in air and space law. So we've been doing air and space law for as a combined program for over two decades now, and um, it's the only program of that nature in the United States, and only one of three or four in the world. Um, so it's extremely unique, and it's it's um, you know it it just builds on Mississippi space legacy in many ways, um, uh, and we've been just sort of growing incredibly as the commercial industry starts to grow we've experienced over the past three years something on the order of almost 900 percent growth rate in our student population in the air and space law program um, and that's partly to do with some new um, educational initiatives that we've taken on one of the um, things that we're really focused on is cross-disciplinary education um, so we've in addition to our llm program which is targeted mostly toward mid-level professionals and we have prof- we have lawyers who are, you know, mid-level in their careers coming from all kinds of different places from law firms, um, commercial space operators, aviation industry. Um, We've also added a graduate certificate program for non-lawyers and a a graduate minor for graduate students within the University of Mississippi who also want to focus on air and space law. Um, And that's just been a a really incredible, um, it's been an incredible thing to do because the nature of Aviation and space law are so cross-disciplinary, requiring teams of engineers, lawyers, uh, policy people, and business administration people to work together. And we feel like we're filling a void there with these uh, additional educational opportunities for students.
1: I have so many questions, so you're gonna have to bear with me. Um, first, what pop that 900% growth is incredible um, in your student population in these programs. What percentage of those students are international? I'm just curious.
0: It's a growing number. Um, we've had um, students from China, we have a student from Germany, we have students from, and we have students um, really coming from all over currently it's probably, I don't know the exact percentage, it's, you know, a handful of students amongst, uh, you know, amongst all of them, but uh, it's certainly growing in popularity internationally.
1: I would think so. I think, I would think you uh, have a, a good market share that, um, that you could gain internationally. And how many students do you have at any given time in the program? I mean, right now, what would you say your enrollment is across the programs for the center?
0: Uh, it's up, it's up around 30 students currently, um, which doesn't sound like a huge number for our our law school generally, but it's been a market uptick for us. So we, and, um, and the students are at various phases in their progression, um, through the program. So it's, it's hard to, it, I can't give you an exact precise number, but it's about 30 students.
1: I understand we have graduate law programs here and that's, it's always a hard thing to define. But for those students um, that you have who have graduated from your programs or are currently enrolled in your programs, if I come to do this LLM as a lawyer uh, and I want to, you know, uh, get into Aaron's base law or I'm a student who's looking to do that, um, what sorts of jobs will benefit from um, this particular degree or focus, uh, focus curriculum?
0: the students do a variety of things after they graduate we've got um and bear in mind our program includes jd students who are doing our concentration so we really have four different um, educational sort of sections going on um i'm told um perhaps this is apocryphal i'm not quite sure but i'm told that um more lawyers working for nasa have come out of our program than any other law school in the united states so that's one avenue we have students who um, work thank you we have Um, I wish I could take credit for that, but it's, uh, you know, I'm I'm standing on giant shoulders here in terms of leadership for the air and space law program, Um, but uh, we've got students who go to work for regulators, some of our students are mid-level career, mid-students who, uh, some of them are currently working for space companies and are taking our course on a part-time, our courses on a part-time basis, doing their LLM on a part-time basis, Um, so, and, and there's awful lot of policy work, particularly on the space law side of things, so, Um, It really runs a range of different, it depends on the students' interests and it can go anywhere from your typical law firm practice to policy work, um, working for, we have interns who go and work for committees on the Hill. Um, So it's a a wide variety of different uh, avenues that students pursue.
1: Well, and now that there is the commercialization of space exploration, are you seeing more interest maybe by those in industry who are supporting those efforts, more interest in either the educational opportunities or your students, or even are you having to reconsider kind of um, curricular additions based on this commercial exploration?
0: We are, in, yes, uh, we are indeed seeing, we're seeing renewed interest um, in legal education, prayer and space law, generally speaking. In the aviation industry, particularly with COVID has Uh, in many ways been rethinking things from the ground up over the past two years. It's going to take a lot of smart lawyers to try to figure out what to do um, in this new environment. And, um, you know, it's it's this generation of young law students who are going to have to figure that out. Um, And then on the space side of things, it's always a moving target. And, you know, things like procurement policy and procurement laws change. Things like export control laws are constantly changing. So we try to adapt We're trying to build more and more of those things into our curriculum to meet the needs of industry. So it's a dialogue. We do outreach to industry to try to gauge what they need so that we can better fulfill those needs.
1: I've been so focused and in awe of the space side of it. I was not even thinking of the air side of it so much. But of course, you're right. The the pandemic has changed the industry and um, just a lot of um, disruption has been going on. So I'm sure there will be, a lot of changes uh, in the air industry as well. And how about drones? Is that the law of drones and that kind of thing? Is that something your center focuses on as well?
0: Indeed it is. We actually have, we produced the only dedicated journal for drone law. It's called the journal of Drone Law and Policy. It's its second edition is going to be coming out, um, I think in January. And um, And so we do a lot of work Some of our students, we've had incredible students, one of our students created a draft drone law for Mississippi, and it was picked up by a Mississippi state senator and put before the uh, Congress there. And it's still in draft phase. It's moving through the the machinery down in Jackson. But um, so that's the kind of work we've been feeding into over the past two years on drones.
1: How exciting for a student to have um, their proposal going through the process of becoming law. Very cool. And what do you see as the, the short-term future for the center? Um, what kinds of things uh, do you expect that you'll have to add as additional foci or um, even tangentially to what you're already doing, given the, uh, the leaps and bounds in, in these industries?
0: That's a very good question. I think there are a lot of different directions to go. Um, as we ramp up, we're creating more and more partnerships with more and more entities, including other schools, as well as um, uh, NGOs and things like that, folks who are working on the policy side of space. What I would really like to see going forward is, and I don't know if it's feasible, but it would be a clinic to assist space startups. And so get some practical experience to our students working hand in hand with newer operators in the space industry, because they have, you know, as bootstrap startups, they don't, they can't afford expensive lawyers, but you might be able to help them out to some extent.
1: That's a really cool idea. I'm sure students would love to work on that. And you're right, they don't have the same um, availability of resources um, available to them to walk them through the space of starting up. Well, that's really cool. Is there anything else you want to tell us about the center?
0: Uh, No, just that uh, we welcome you all. So we're, uh, you know, you can find us online and and we welcome any inquiries and and, uh, are always looking to uh, partner with exciting people who are interested in working in air and space. It's Thank also you. really
2: interesting, Dean Roberts, that they they started a JD LLM program as well. And so that you can do, uh, isn't it, Charles, in three years if you go in the summers?
0: Indeed, yeah. So we've always had a concentration for JD students and we've had a, a, a few students who decided then that one to either stay and do an LLM or they would go out and get experience in the field and want to come back and do the LLM. They would ask us, well, can I apply the credits that I already had? Earned as a JD student towards this, and we didn't have a mechanism to do that. So, in addition to those other initiatives I mentioned, we created a what I think is the first dual uh, track JD/LLM for air and space law. Um, And so, our students, in six or seven semesters, depending on how intensely they do it, they can complete both degrees. And we think it's an incredible opportunity for students, both from the perspective of time savings, but also um, cost savings. It's less expensive because they can share a certain number of credits between both degrees.
1: That's a brilliant idea. Um, I know that other disciplines have done that kind of thing for a while um, with their graduate degrees, but very cool that you're doing that for law and in such a unique field. Again, thank you. Well, good luck with that, and um, and good luck at visiting with your family in Switzerland. I'm <laughs> intrigued that that you go from Mississippi to Switzerland. That can't be a direct flight. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're going to be able to get him really soon on some kind of
1: technology that just makes him go quickly.
0: Over there. <laughs> We're working on teleportation.
1: That's yeah. right. That's why, you, that's why you need the clinic for startups for the teleportation right. company, right? <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing uh, that information about your really unique and, and cool program for law students and lawyers. Um, so Dean Duncan, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about the federal clerkship opportunities you have for your students. Um, you mentioned before we started that you are 13th, ranked 13th in the country for federal clerkships, which is an incredible ranking. Tell me what you think the reason is for that. Why is it that, that yes. Mississippi is placing so many federal clerks?
2: Yeah, we're so proud of that number because obviously um, that, that to have that have a ranking in this area is, is just fabulous. I think the reason might be because of the focus on skills. Our students write a lot, and they are, they are publishing in journals outside of University of Mississippi journals. So every year, we probably have maybe 25 student authors that are placing at other journals around the country or internationally. And I think that these writing skills uh, make them very competitive when they try to apply for the clerkships. The judges are impressed by, by those skills. So I, I think that might be what it is. Also, they present very well. University of Mississippi students are, are smart, but they're, uh, they're very vivacious. And I think they interview well. Um, so I think they make an impression about their work ethic and, and just that they would like to, you know, judges would like to be around these people, um, which is it was just helpful.
1: So, when um you've mentioned that they they write a lot, um did that emphasis on legal writing come with you and your background? <laughs> Is that it, that did your school evolve? Because of your history and uh, and your recognition of the importance of legal writing, or is that a, it's something that has all, always been an emphasis? That's
2: always been an emphasis, which is one of the reasons why I liked it. The, the legal writing professors have been here, probably each one of them, for at least 20 years, so long term uh, legal writing wow. professors, yes. And the faculty as a whole make sure the students are invited to to will read their articles, many of the seminar professors help the students get it in publishable shape and, and help with connections at other journals. So I feel like everybody on the faculty is invested in seeing these students be, be published authors. Um, and so that, that attracted me as a legal writing person that, that they valued this skill.
1: Well, it's obviously making a huge difference, uh, and I'm sure all of those federal judges are very appreciative. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, what I always ask um, guests before we conclude is what your predictions are for the future of legal education, say, in the coming decade. So we're in a moment of disruption of sorts with legal education, too. Um, Applications are way up. We were coming off, um, you know, 18 months of some online teaching that was rather unexpected. And so I wonder, what do you see as the changes that are likely to happen in the coming decade? And if it's different, are there other things you think should happen as changes in the coming? decade? Mm-hmm. Well,
2: gosh, if I knew this, they would let me be Dean forever.
1: <laughs> so these are just yeah. guesses. <laughs>
2: I wish I knew what was coming so I could be ready. You know, one thing I think is really going to come, despite that we're having these applications through the roof right now, which is great because some of us were deans when we remember having a third less applicants between 2012 and 2017. So I like it much better when you have more applicants coming to law school.
1: Yes, I Um, think we'd all choose this alternative. Yes, I like that
2: but I think it might be short term because we know that the pipeline for college students is not good coming up. So I think we need to to be reacting right now that this might drop, we'll have to see. Um, And it reminds me of when you look at higher ed back in the seventies, when they didn't have as many people coming to higher ed and they really went after the women then because who was not in colleges, it was the women. And then you start to see women coming in um, much higher rates. I think it's going to be more diverse student bodies. I really do. I think the, the um, nation demographics are changing. And so the law schools that spend time on pipeline pro- programs and getting students um, to know about your school and preparing them for success, they will be the law schools that can, can handle another dip. In applications, so there, but you can't do that the the year it happens, right? That takes conscious planning um, to back it out all the way to high school or maybe even grade school students uh, to try to get them interested in law. And that'll be a good thing, right? If we can diversify the profession, because we've all talked about that for years. So I hope that's one thing we're going to see. I think we will see more. On um, flipped classrooms and more technology being taught in law schools, you know, artificial intelligence, none of us even thought about that in law very much. And so I feel like we'll have to teach those type classes to get the students ready. And at least here, we are talking about could we offer some more online classes where we would have never considered that before COVID, probably. But I right. think the professors have seen, oh, you can have a, a it, If it's intentional, you can have some really good classes that are online or partially online if you flip that classroom. So um, probably see a little bit more of that. And then I think Charles and Michelle's field really hits on the cross disciplinary nature law is going to have to take. So more more, uh, collaborations with other units on campus, whether that's being part of their grants or doing more joint degrees, having students take classes as part of their legal education in those other units. You know, we all, we all allow, I think six hours, but I'm seeing more students starting to do that than I have previously seen. So I think to to try to solve these problems, like Charles said, you need everybody at the table and we can't be so insular. I think, if, if we're going to be um, part of the solution. So I would, I think, We'll see that in law schools, probably.
1: Well, I think all your predictions are dead on. So clearly you will be Dean forever. There. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> don't you think, Professor Stoller? <laughs> no.
2: He has my vote.
1: <laughs> That's good to know. Um, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your sharing more about... Um, the law school that you lead and the University of Mississippi's very cool initiatives in the area of air and space law. It's impressive um, and very active clinics. And my goodness, the exoneration work you're doing alone is is so historic. Um, So thank you for all you're doing and for spending some time with us today. Well, thank you, Dean
2: Roberts. We really appreciate the opportunity to have this talk.
0: This has been another episode of EdUp Legal with your host, Patty Roberts. EdUp Legal is part of the EdUp Experience podcast and network, bringing you the brightest and most influential minds across higher education and beyond. Here at EdUp, we make education your business.